This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Genesis chapter 3 is the first scripture we're going to look at. Like I said, the word for the day is fellowship. It's a really, really important word for us. Um, And basically, as I mentioned before, there's two parts to it. One is that fellowship between man and God is vastly important. And then fellowship between man and man, or when I say man, I'm talking about people, is vastly important. And and I recently, well, just this past week, went back and spent some time in the early part of Genesis, dealing with creation, and then uh, the fall, and then Cain and Abel's story, that's Genesis 1 through 4. And I just have to go back there sometimes, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find myself just going back to Genesis, to the early part of Genesis periodically. I spent a solid year studying the book, and it's been almost 10 years ago since I did that. And just digging into creation, digging into the origins of things, and obedience became a huge theme for me in my life and my understanding of God and who He is. I concluded it's the overarching theme for the entire scripture because it starts in Genesis 1 and it goes all the way through Revelation 22, which is the last chapter in the Bible. It is the one theme that you will find in every book. And it covers every topic, it covers every people group, covers every situation. Obedience always shows up as the most important thing. So love is important, grace is important, mercy is important, forgiveness is important. But if you don't start with obedience, you're never going to come to an understanding of those things. Because obedience is required before God is even going to trust us to teach us about the depths of all this other stuff. So go back to Genesis, and I hung around there for a while this past week, and I landed on the word fellowship, and so we're going to talk about it, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 3. When you hear any time... You know, we're talking, sharing together, having conversation. Uh, When I talk about the trees of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, when we talk about relationships between God and people, when we talk about uh, the the subject of obedience and those things, all that is born out of digging back into Genesis. So if we can get that chapter 3 up on the screen um, and read it together. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So what's she done here is she's believed a lie. All right, so that, that's uh, step number one to going to places you don't want to go to and ended up ending up in situations you don't want to end up in. That's when you start believing lies. And sometimes it's tricky because the voices can be very uh, persuasive. The voices can be very convincing and attractive. And so I don't see it that the, that the serpent showed up one day in the afternoon and spent 20 minutes talking to this lady and convinced her to go against God's plan. I think this happened over time. process of that 
serpent showing up, whispering, convincing. He's a salesman. He's, uh, he's persuasive. And finally, she caves in and believes the lie. So you have to be able to recognize voices, which voices are right, which voices are true, and which voices are trying to deceive you and lead you down the wrong path. And I have to tell you that you cannot trust yourself to be able to discern between those voices. You need to pray. You need to sit with the Lord. You need to dig into his words. You need to live in communion and fellowship with him so that he's the one that can be trusted to help you discern between the good voices and the bad ones. Do not trust yourself, okay? I'm telling you now, and it goes against the grain of everything you hear in our society, in advertising and entertainment, in philosophy and theory and opinion and all these things, everybody's telling us to trust ourselves. I'm telling you it's the biggest lie in the history of humanity. It has never worked. It's never going to work. You cannot trust yourself. I got a resounding amen on that. Appreciate it. You cannot trust yourself. I'm not trying to insult you. Okay? It's like one preacher I heard on the radio said, I ain't trying to make you mad. I'm trying to help you. It'll help you to know you cannot trust yourself. The lie here, the trick here is to get them to believe in themselves. To get them to trust themselves. That's where the fall, that's where the disaster, that's where the chaos started, was when he convinced them to trust themselves. You can be bigger, you can be smarter, you can be stronger, you can help God do his job, you can have as much wisdom as God has, and Eve started to feel really good about herself, and that's why she made the decision. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, right here in this situation, you go from true religion with God at the center to a me religion with people at the center. This launches the big contrast 
that exists right up until this minute between two religions. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember I talked about two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of man, also known as the kingdom of this world. That's all there is. There are only two religions. You start naming off Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Methodist, Buddha, Islam, everything across the board. Everything can be thrown into one of two categories. There is the religion of God, the true religion with God at the center, and there is the religion of man or the religion of me. That's all there is. Simplify it. Boil it down. That's what you come to. Two religions. You live in one or you live in the other. You're a citizen of one kingdom or you're a citizen of the other. End of the story. Here are the results of me religion. Religion with me at the center. And you see them right here in the account. They became aware of things that they had no business being aware of. There are some things that only God can manage. Okay? There are some things that only God can manage. There is a really, really important thing that man does not have the ability or the capacity to manage. And that is the contrast between good and evil. So we can fight as hard as we want to. We can keep coming up with plans and strategies. We can keep spending money. We can keep expending all sorts of energies and efforts we will never be able to effectively manage the contrast between good and evil because that's God work and we cannot do God work. And you see it right here. It sounds like it should be a good thing, a positive thing when it says, and they became aware. No, it's one of the most terrible things that's ever happened the history of the human race is that mankind became aware of this war between good and evil. Here are some other things that come as a result of me religion. Fear. What does he say? He says, we heard you coming in the garden and we were afraid. First time ever that emotion was experienced. It wasn't God's plan that fear be part of our lives. But how much does fear dominate the human race today? How much does fear dictate what we do and how we live? Fear entered in the second when they chose disobedience and became a mainstay in human living and still today is causing so much stress and so much so many problems and so much hardship and chaos in our lives another result is pain all of a sudden they go from having a life that is full and rich and without pain and without hardship, but they choose me religion, and here comes something that they 
have not experienced before and that was not God's design for them and that is that now they have to suffer. You will, be, you will experience tremendous pain, God says to the woman in childbirth. You go from the beauty of God's strategy for creation. You go from the complete and utter pleasantness of the whole experience to, to the pain of childbirth afterwards being considered probably the greatest pain that exists to a human being to bring life into the world. You, you see the contrast? You, you see the vast chasm between God's way and man's way and how beautiful and how full and how free and how liberating and how peaceful God's way is as opposed to our way which always creates pain and chaos and trouble for ourselves. Toil. Now you, you no longer have these beautiful trees and gardens that are going to supply you with, with everything that you need to sustain your bodies, to sustain your lives. And now you're going to have to go out and work and sweat in the hot sun and back-breaking labor to be able to eat. I get a kick out of people who say, we shouldn't eat meat. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't kill animals for the purpose of eating meat. I've got no problem with people choosing a personal path of, of what they want to eat and how they want to eat. But the arguments sometimes become comical because it's like the reason we eat meat is because of man's disobedience. Y'all understand that, right? Because in the garden, pre-fall, they didn't eat meat. It's only because of the acts of disobedience that they came to a place where other options and other avenues have to be accessed because they no longer had the perfection of what they had before. And so you got folks who advocate for that kind of life and that kind of diet who live in absolute disobedience in so many different areas of their life, but they want to talk about how those of us who, who are trying to live in obedience to God shouldn't do that. It's my soapbox for today. I'm off of it. And death. And death. Why? God says to them that now that you have chosen your own way, your own religion, you've chosen to worship yourself, you will no longer have access to the tree of life. You, you will no longer be able to lay claim on life eternal just automatically just because you're born, just because you're here, just because you're created. Now there has to be a different way. Now there has to be a plan for you to be able to get back into the heart of God to have the opportunity for eternal life. It's not automatically guaranteed. You have discounted your privilege to approach the tree of life. And here's the one we want to focus on for a few minutes. The result of me religion is broken fellowship. Broken fellowship. So before they choose disobedience, they're in perfect fellowship and communion with God every day. He comes and he hangs out with them. They're able to see him visibly. 
They're able to have conversations. They're able to take walks. Sometimes you just let the imagination go. You can just picture them going through, and everything is so new, and everything is so brilliant, and everything is so beautiful, and they're, they're just discovering new things every day. And can you imagine walking with the God who made all of this and having Him explain to you and point out to you what all of this is and, and, and what the purpose of all of it is? And talk with you about the names that you're choosing for all of this thing, all of these beautiful things you see in front of you. What a great, great thing. Just fellowship, just comfortable, natural, God-man fellowship. Just hanging out with God. But it was broken. Because the evening after the act of disobedience, God shows up as He always had. But they're not there waiting for him. Where are they? They're hiding. They're hiding. And they have discovered that they're naked. They didn't realize that before because there was nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to go running from. They're just there in the beauty of all that God had given them and the fullness of everything that he's created. But now all of a sudden they start to experience shame. They start to experience things that they want to hide from. Things that they want to escape his eyesight from. Things that they don't want him to hear that they're saying. And fellowship as it was is broken. Well, We could spend a lot of time there talking about the effects of broken fellowship between God and man throughout the centuries. But we know about it. Right? We see it all around us. We know about hatred. We know about enmity. We know about strife. We know about broken families. We know about wars between countries. We know about wars between brothers, wars between sisters, wars between relatives on any level. We know about we know about bitterness. We know about resentment, right? We know about holding grudges. We know about taking revenge. We know about exercising the lack of forgiveness. The results are everywhere that indicate the brokenness of fellowship between people. Man to man brokenness. So not only do you have the brokenness of fellowship between God and man, you have brokenness of fellowship between us. That's why I wanted to focus on fellowship today because it is the reason that we hang out here. One of the big reasons, it's the reason we eat together. It's the reason that we come together and share in fun times. It's the reason that we gather when somebody's mourning and we support them. It's the reason that many of you will come to our house this afternoon and hang out. You know, if, if it's about eating a chili dog, well, that's good, but it's, there's more to it than that. It's about fellowship, it's about love, it's about family, it's about community. And if we do not have that as part of our walk in this kingdom of God, then nothing is ever going to be as it should be. There's always going to be a big chunk missing. You know, it's sad, it's really tragic, the number of churches you have where people show up and go to church together on Sundays, but they don't know each other. 
other than that hour, hour and a half of worship time on Sundays, and it's good that they come together and worship and sing and give and listen to the Word, but it's tragic on the other hand that they leave and they really don't know people in the room. Hear people say all the time, yeah, I go to this church, but you know, that church is so big, it's just hard to get to know anybody. And my advice on that is always, well, you need to connect with the small church within the big church. Because if, you know, most big churches are going to have small groups, they're going to have home groups, they're going to have community groups of some sort. If not, I don't know what they're doing, but you have to have that. If, if you get to the point where you have a church of more than 100 people, there's two things you know. That is that one pastor cannot pastor all those people. And two is that you need to start having smaller groups to break out and have their own little church inside the bigger church. Because we need fellowship. We need community. As much as we need the preaching, as much as we need the singing, as much as we need anything, we need fellowship. We need to restore what's been broken. And so this account happens in the third chapter, and then immediately following in the fourth chapter, you see an example, a really profound example of brokenness between man to man. Let's look at that. Chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So I didn't put the account before or after these three verses up on the screen, but you know it, right? You know that Cain and Abel are brothers. And you know that they are Adam and Eve's only two children at this point. And they get into a conflict because they both bring sacrifices to God that they're very proud of. And that they hope will be pleasing to God. But one of the sacrifices is more pleasing to God than the other. You know what my answer to that is? Get over it. Get over it. There's somebody here that's going to write a check today to pay your giving, your tithes or whatever, that's going to be more than a check that somebody else writes. And the lesser check is going to be just as meaningful and just as important, and I'm going to love you just as much as the person who writes the bigger check. I'll tell you actually what I love the most. I love the people who write little bitty checks but write them every single week. I love that better than the people who write a bigger check, but it only comes in once in a while. Because I love consistency, and I love generosity. And generosity doesn't mean it has to be a great big check. It means it needs to be generous based on what you have. Get over it, Cain. Get over the sensitivities over whether you feel like what you've done is as important as what somebody else has done. It doesn't matter. Do what you can do. Do what requires obedience from you. Do what requires some sacrifice from you. But Cain gets his little feelings hurt because God doesn't love his sacrifice as much as he loves Abel's. God didn't say, Cain, your sacrifice is terrible. You need to do better next time. No, it just said God preferred. 
Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And Cain gets mad at his brother. Listen, we're talking about blood brother. Same mother, same father, blood kin. And he gets mad with his brother because God preferred the sacrifice. It wasn't even that Abel had done something terrible to Cain. And so he gets mad. He gets sullen. He gets angry. He lets it start building up in him. And that's where that that's when this question from God comes to Cain and he says, Why why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? See, this is this is the confirmation that God's not mad at him about his sacrifice. What's wrong with you? You got nothing to be mad about. I mean, do you not know that if you do what's right, you'll be accepted? Hold on. I said that way too lightly. Because right when I said it, I think that may be the lesson that somebody needs to hear today. Do you not know that if you do what is right, you'll be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, here's what you need to know. Sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. How am I going to rule over it? How am I going to rule over the possibility that sin crouching at my door is going to jump on me when I come out of the door and is going to beat me down and potentially kill me altogether? I can rule over it by simply doing what is right. And we know what's right. We know what's right as it relates to broken fellowship with our brother. We know what's right. You're left without excuse because you know what is right as it relates to fellowship with brother, sister, mother, father, uncle, aunt, grandparents, son, daughter, whoever it is, you know what is right. Stop making excuses for yourself. Stop trying to justify wrong actions. Stop walking around with your face downcast, all knotted up and sullen over something that you have the power to fix. And if we live in this kingdom of God, if we live in this kingdom of obedience, if we're choosing the way of the God of light, we will choose to do what is right because we're the ones who have the responsibility to take the lead in the situation. We're going to sit around and wait on godless people, people who are living in the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world, to take the lead and come to us? I don't think so. I don't think it works like that. Broken fellowship is destructive and it's destroying us. We don't need to worry about what it's doing to somebody else. A lack of forgiveness is destroying us. It's eating us up. It's sin crouching at our door. We don't need to worry about what it's doing to somebody else. We must rule over it by doing what's right. What does Jesus have to say about it? And how does Jesus reflect and represent all of this? My last scripture from 1 John chapter 1. 
So Jesus came. Jesus proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. Jesus was pointed out by others as the light of the world. The word light is one of those very important names that is given to him. Light of the world. He shines light in dark places. What's happening right now in this room is that a light is being shined into the dark spots of whatever's going on in our lives. It's being illuminated because I can guarantee if I know anything, if I've ever known anything, there are people sitting here listening to me right now, that as I have talked on this subject of fellowship, something's come to your mind. Somebody has come to your mind. Some situation has come to your mind. I'm not saying God's given me specific revelation on you. What I'm saying is if you get just this small number of people in a room, somebody's going to be sitting here with a dark spot, a dark corner, some lack of submission, some disobedience, some grudge, some bitterness, some resentment, some unforgiveness that is crouching down in here. And when you bring it and you throw it out in the open and you begin to deal with it as it relates to the Word, then a light starts to illuminate it and it's going to come to your mind what it is. And John says about Jesus... This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have what? Fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? One another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from what? All sin. That sin that's crouching at the door, waiting to destroy, waiting to pounce, waiting to set you back, waiting to defeat. We're purified from that sin. That sin is defeated when once the light shines on that dark spot we offer it on the altar of sacrifice and submission to God and his plan lay down our pride move out of the kingdom of me into the kingdom of God begin to follow his instruction his principles and freedom freedom comes man so I guess it boils down to what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? What's it worth to hang on? What's it worth to continue to carry that dark spot? Continue to have those things crouch and linger, come to your mind here and there, making excuses, trying to figure out an answer, trying to figure out a solution, trying to justify and I know some of us have been hurt and some of us have been trampled on and some of us have, have, have had bad experiences and we've experienced brokenness out of that. And that's not, I'm not discounting any of that. 
I'm not, I'm not making it sound like, oh, just don't pay any attention to anything, just, just move on. But we have to deal with everything in life, including brokenness in relationship and brokenness in fellowship from perspective of the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. So we've gone from way, way, way back here in Genesis in the creation story, stories about God's first people. And it runs all the way through. You cannot escape it. You cannot get away from it. You cannot find a spot in the Scripture where fellowship with God and fellowship with other people is not an issue. And we've taken it all the way through, through the life of Jesus. That Jesus is the light of the world. That Jesus is the one who comes and illuminates all those spots that we need to deal with and bring into submission to God. And all the way over to the book of 1 John, one of the very last books in the Scriptures, where John really brings it home by saying that if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness... Do not live out the truth. How do we do that? When we know His Word, but we don't obey it. When we know His Word and we don't obey it, then we walk in darkness. When we know the truth, but we don't live it out, then we walk in darkness. I say all the time, once you've heard it, you're accountable for it. When we know the truth, but we choose not to live out the truth, we make excuses to not live out the truth, or we try to live out part of the truth, but not the whole truth, then we live in darkness. And the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with Him and we have fellowship with one another, and that sin is dealt with. That sin is conquered. I know that we have the great privilege and opportunity to ask God to forgive us of sin. And we're guaranteed that if we ask Him to forgive us, He will forgive us. But listen, we can ask Him to forgive us our, of sin and we can get up the next morning and choose to not be obedient to everything he's told us to do, and sin comes right back to the door and starts camping out again. Waiting, crouching, waiting to pounce. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, ask for forgiveness of sins, but right after that, ask that God would not lead you into temptation, but deliver you from evil, because evil is always coming back to the door. He's always there. He's, he's always going to look. And, and, we, and we invite him back when we choose the kingdom of me. When we choose to hang on to all those things that we know we shouldn't hang on to because we know the truth, but we don't live it out. What, what would happen in our world if just the Christian people in mass would decide one day we're going to forgive our enemies and we're going to love them like God loves us. What would happen? Just the Christian people. I'm not talking about sinners. 
What would happen if just Christian people decided to forgive everyone who'd ever done wrong to them and to restore fellowship? We don't have to do life with everybody, but we have a responsibility to make sure people know, I love you. I forgive you for anything, everything. I hold no bad feelings about anything. I'm free. Offer to serve, offer to love, offer to give. And we have to reach out. We have to be intentional. Let's finish up with a little story. Uh, church I was working at years ago, a uh, lady stood up and said, um, the Lord's really just been dealing with me about loving people that I really just don't like. People just get on my nerves and drive me crazy, and I just can't stand to be around them, and the Lord's just been telling me, serve them, give, love, reach out. And she's standing there giving this testimony, and I'm sitting on the platform remembering how the previous week she had brought me a pot of spaghetti and a seven-layer chocolate cake. Hey, figure out a way. Figure out a way to bless somebody that, you know, he's just really, it's just not in you naturally to want to bless them. Figure out a way to let them know it's all good with me. Can't control what anybody else does, but it's all good with me. I'm going to know, I'm going to do what I know to do. I, I'm left without excuse because I know that I have to walk in obedience if I want to live in the right kingdom. If I want to experience God religion instead of me religion, I know what I have to do. So, I don't know who need to hear all that. Maybe me, but I heard it. So, I hope that there's going to be something happen this coming week if it's only with one person that is going to fix some fellowship somewhere that's been hurt or destroyed. And it really doesn't even matter if the other person is totally to blame for whatever happened. That doesn't matter. That's a non-issue. It's not part of the equation. We have a responsibility because we are kingdom citizens experiencing God religion, not me religion. Father, bless you for your words, for your challenge. It's always sharp. It's always challenging. It's always motivational. And sometimes it slaps us around. And maybe it's done that this morning, but for, for good cause. Thank you that everything we talk about is based on your word. That we got nobody to blame but you for what we hear and for what we know when we leave. So I pray that you would just continue to make this clear in our hearts and minds as we go from here, that we would respond in obedience to what we know we need to do. And that we understand Jesus said that whoever hears my words must do what I say or they're like a foolish man building their house on sand. So we thank you for that. Pray that you would bless everybody here with your peace, power, provision, and protection. Give us a great afternoon, a great week, and show us, um, show us opportunities day by day and, and help us to recognize them when they come where we can represent you well in the earth and let our light shine. Pray you bless our giving and that um, we'd be able to continue to do what we do as, as resources come in. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.